Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 300 of the podcast in the Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, October 1st, 2020. And as I just told you, Episode 300, cannot believe we are here and cannot thank you guys enough for all of your support over the last couple years. It has been incredible to see this show grow, and I think this episode specifically is reflective of how big this show has gotten and what we're able to do with this podcast, and let me explain why. Great show coming up. I will obviously do what I do every episode. I will lead the show talking a couple big topics. And in terms of those topics, cannot believe, but here in the heart of college football season, a basketball topic is the biggest story. Chris Mack coming after Kentucky, coming after John Calipari on social media on Tuesday night. We'll talk about that. We'll break it down. I'll go uh, Roy Jones Jr. and George Foreman, blow for blow, round for round. Who had the edge? Who didn't? We will get into that craziness. Then we'll switch gears to football. Little news and notes from the week. Uh, Joey Gatewood and Cade Mays both ruled eligible uh, in the SEC. This this kind of crazy rule that's been in place for a while was essentially overturned. I'll tell you what that means and what it means potentially for Olivier Saar, the star, the star basketball player at Kentucky. Uh, we will then transition into football even further. The Pac-12 trying to sneak in the back door and convince the playoff committee to expand to eight teams. And finally, I will give my week five college football picks. And that all leads up to the big banner moment uh, of the episode 300. And how about this? Your boy A.T., Did AT do it again, or did AT do it again? Torres delivered with a mega guest, Herschel Walker, the former Heisman Trophy winner, joins episode 300 of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Cannot tell you how much I enjoyed interacting with Herschel Walker, talking to him via Zoom. He has an insane backstory. We obviously did talk about his time at Georgia. 
We talked about growing up. We talked about the fact that he still does over a thousand push-ups every day. The fact that he was an Olympic bobsledder. I mean, this guy, you want to talk about, remember the Dos Equis guy, the most interesting man in the world? Well, Herschel Walker really is the most interesting man in the world. An incredible interview, Herschel Walker coming up. I will tell you one quick note on that interview. You guys know I love to, I prefer, not only I love to, I prefer to keep politics out of this show Herschel Walker did speak at the Republican National Convention a few weeks ago. For people who do not know, he has known President Donald Trump for close to 40 years. And as part of this interview, uh, he did want to speak a little bit about that. So I tried to keep the politics out. But the last question of the interview does pertain to him speaking at the Republican National Convention. If you do not care, if you do not want politics in your show, what I will tell you is this. First 35 minutes is all football, all craziness from Herschel Walker, uh, and I did not want to give up the opportunity for this interview uh, to avoid the last question. So if you are not interested in that particular question, I will tell you the first 35 minutes, I believe, are worth listening to. And then if you just don't want to get involved in that aspect of things, I understand, turn it off. But I just want to be transparent up front. I don't want anybody mad at AT because of what happened. So Herschel Walker coming up. Great show. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, like I always do, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Follow us on social media, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. And of course, if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Facebook, Aaron Torres Writer. All right, people, let's get into it. With that said, there's no more time to waste because we have a lot to get into before we get to Herschel Walker. This is episode 300 after all, people. And let's get into what I actually believe is the biggest topic in college sports right now, right? It's September. It's now October. We're focused on football. But how about Chris Mack coming out of left field, dropping a viral video on Tuesday night? You all saw it. And it sent this Kentucky-Louisville rivalry to another galaxy, to another level. And so let's get into it. And let's get into the backstory. I did actually talk about this topic probably about two, three weeks ago when it first came up. But the backstory is obviously this, right? Louisville, Kentucky is the best rivalry, in my opinion, in college basketball. You could argue Duke, Carolina. You could argue this. You could argue that. I'll take Louisville, Kentucky out of all of them. And obviously, we are in an unprecedented time. We did not know what the schedule was going to look like, what the season was going to look like up until two or three weeks ago, and we still largely don't know. And as it pertains to the Louisville-Kentucky game, you know, I'll be honest, I, I, I always assume that if the season was going to be played, that Kentucky-Louisville was going to be played. And so because of that, it never crossed my mind the possibility that because of all these extenuating circumstances, Kentucky-Louisville might not be played. Well, rewind to about two, two and a half weeks ago, Chris Mack goes on a podcast with John Fanta from Fox Sports. Full disclosure, I don't know John at all. I'm sure he's a good guy. It was certainly a good get and a good interview for him. And on that podcast, Chris Mack kind of says, look, man, I don't really know if we're going to play this Louisville-Kentucky game. And the reason that Chris Mack really laid out was a few things. He said very simply that he did not believe that it was fair that in a rivalry game that is only played once a year, that Kentucky would have to come to Louisville this particular season when there'd be no fans in the stands. 
and then Kentucky could could get a home game next year in theory with full capacity at the Rupp, at Rupp Arena in the I guess it would be the winter of 2021 or early 2022. And so when he said that, that made actually some genuinely big headlines across college basketball. I did talk about it on this show, and it kind of led to a back and forth between him and John Calipari in the media. You could tell Chris Mack felt like, I don't think the whole story's out there because John Calipari kind of just kept saying, look, man, we're planning on playing the game. We're planning on being in Louisville, blah, 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 blah. And it was kind of ironic because John Calipari, this guy who loves to pick fights with everybody, right? He is a guy that has spent his whole career picking fights with people, whether it is Coach K at Duke, whether it is, whether it was Rick Pitino when Rick Pitino was at Louisville, whoever it is, John Calipari's always fighting. And this was one where he was just like, dude, there, there, there's no fight. Like, like we're planning on playing. If you don't want to play, deal with it. And so Chris Mack made this point. He didn't believe that the rivalry should be played on a home court when there would be no fans. He was willing to play on a neutral court. Uh, he was willing to not play at all, but he believed that the rivalry should not be played. John Calipari comes back, and we're kind of wondering, like, what's the deal here? It feels like there's more to the story than all of this. What's going on? Who knows? Who's telling the truth? Who's not? And out of left field, Tuesday night, Chris Mack, head coach of Louisville, drops a video that goes insanely viral, okay? And he addresses all the big topics, all the big issues, and he basically calls out John Calipari in this video. And the video, of course, again, it stems from the fact that Louisville is, is scheduled to host Kentucky. And so basically, he starts the video by saying, hey, Louisville fans, you guys are asking me, am I afraid to play Kentucky? Am I a chicken? Do I not want to face John Calipari's team? And he goes into this big, long rant, which was actually really well done. The comedic timing of it was perfect. Like credit to Chris Mack. He couldn't have done better uh, if he had a director uh, and a producer in front of him, and he might have for all I know. But essentially, the video came down to this, is do you just want us to do whatever's best for John Calipari and his program? Because if it is, we will. And so Chris Mack gets into the specifics. He does say, by the way, we're going to play this game. I have given up the fight. They can come to Louisville and we will play this game. But before he does, he kind of pulls back the curtain on this rivalry with Kentucky and with what's really happened um, in the lead up to this game, why he believed the game shouldn't be played, and the fact that he believes, in his opinion, not mine, and I'll get into my opinion in a minute, that John Calipari and Kentucky, you know, they've been doing some sketchy stuff behind the scenes. And so Chris Mack really points to three specific things as to why he has been fighting to get this game either played on a neutral court or not at all. And essentially those three things are this. First of all, he said that they had already agreed to a date, which was December 12th, and that John Calipari and Kentucky withdrew from that date because it was too soon after their trip to London. For people who do not know, Kentucky was supposed to play a game in London December 6th against Michigan. That game was canceled in May. So that was argument number one from Chris Mack. We wanted to play December 12th. We were set to play December 12th. Kentucky already moved the game because they didn't want to play a week after they get back from London. Oh, by the way, they also inserted Notre Dame into that spot. So it's not as though they're not playing. They just didn't want to play us. Second point that Chris Mack made, that apparently Kentucky called up ESPN trying to convince them or at least talk to them about adjusting Louisville's ACC schedule. 
so that the game could be played more on terms uh, that, that Chris Mack believes are in favor of Kentucky. And the third thing is Chris Mack, he brought up a point that he brought up a few weeks ago with the John Fanta interview in that he said, listen, we've already canceled some games that are home and homes because we don't think it's fair to the opponent that we go to their arena and play without fans. So we were supposed to play at Cincinnati. We said, let's not do it this year. It's not fair to you guys. It's not fair to you guys for us to come there and play in front of no fans. And then you come here uh, in a year and play in front of a full house. He mentioned the Kentucky-Louisville game has already been pushed back. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, what I would say is Chris Mack lays out a very compelling point uh, about his opinion, why it happened. And like I said, just shout out to Chris Mack because the production level was awesome. But let's get into the specifics. So the first thing I'll say is, again, shout out to Chris Mack. Love the fact that he did this for a couple reasons. One, I do understand why I think he did that. I, tr I truly believe that his thought process was very simply this is that if I'm going to take all the heat for this game potentially being canceled or for me not being interested in playing this game, I want the truth to be out there. I want people to know that we had a date set, that the game was scheduled, and that we were ready to go, we were ready to play, and then it was John Calipari that behind the scenes was trying to move all the chess pieces. I think that's the first thing that kind of immediately jumped out to me. Chris Mack is saying, dude, get the heat off of me, put some of it on John Calipari. But what I would also say is I loved it because of this simple fact. This just reignited the rivalry, right? Like, like everyone's been like, oh my goodness, they're too kind. People are getting along too much. We missed the old days when Rick Pitino was there and we used to really hate Louisville. Well, guess what? The hate is back. The rivalry is back. Chris Mack single-handedly reigniting it with that video. Now, in terms of the video, I will say this. I do understand, as I just said a minute ago, why I believe that Chris Mack wanted to put the video out there. I think he really wanted his opinion. I really think he wanted his facts out there so that if something happened to this game, it wouldn't be canceled. What I would also say is the facts that he put out are kind of weak. And I'll get into all of them in a minute, but I did talk about this a few weeks ago, is that I respect Chris Mack. For, I should even backtrack, and I should say this. Before I go too far in on Chris Mack, let me just say what I've said all the time. I respect the hell out of Chris Mack, right? I had him on this podcast. He was gracious with his time. In the times that I interacted with him when he was at Xavier, he was incredibly gracious with his time. So this is not me attacking Chris Mack, the person, the coach, the husband, the father, whatever. But I do still disagree with the sentiment of this, even if I love the fact that he brought it out into the public, put out this video, uh, and got the, the Twitter streets rolling and talking about Kentucky Louisville. First of all, in terms of his actual talking points, I don't really buy any of them. So, so the first one is that Kentucky, the game was originally scheduled for December 12th, and Kentucky decided to pull out of that game because of their game in London with Michigan. From Kentucky's perspective, I sort of get it, right? You're, you're traveling all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, halfway across the world. You're playing a game, and you're coming back. You don't want to play your biggest rival after you were just on a six-hour plane ride. But on top of that, Chris Mack, while trying to prove a point, his facts don't really line up, right? And I'll tell you why his facts don't line up. Because Kentucky canceled its trip to London in May. And in May, we had no idea that in December or January, we would still be playing games without fans in the stands. So if Kentucky did move the game, 
It must have come before May when they thought they were going to London. And so because of that, that's irrelevant as it pertains to playing with no fans in the stands. One has absolutely nothing to do with the other. That decision was made months ago, which means if Kentucky played about, complained about playing the game in Louisville a week after returning from London, that must have been in February, March, April, because we've known since May that that game's not taking place. So I don't buy that as an excuse from Chris Mack. I would add, in terms of the second point that he made um, about you know calling ESPN, that is something that is nitty-gritty. I don't know all the details, and I don't want to pick sides. Obviously, I will say in defense of Chris Mack, it probably does not look good for John Calipari in Kentucky, but what I would also call to say, or also add, is that it might not be as bad as we all think it is, right? Because if you think about it very simply, if Kentucky knows they can't play the game December 12th, it calls to reason that if if ESPN is a television partner, that they would call ESPN and say, okay, like, so what are some dates that we could potentially make this happen? We're not playing the 12th because we're coming back from London. So if that's the case, what are some dates that can happen? Oh, when do they start ACC play? They play, oh, by the way, let's not forget, last year they played ACC games in November and December. So what does that mean? How does it impact this? Is, you know, what is it all like? Like, when are they planning on playing ACC games? We need to know that to plan our schedule. It could be worse than that. It might be, but it's vague enough where I'm not going to crush John Calipari for that. Because again, we just don't know enough details of when this call was made, what the context was, and all of that. Finally, what I would say, and I said this a few weeks ago, again, I like Chris Mack, good guy. But this excuse of, well, we moved the Cincinnati game, so they should move the Kentucky game, it, it's, just, it, it's, it's, it's an absurd analogy, and you cannot compare the two, right? And you can't compare the two for one simple reason. Cincinnati never plays Louisville at home. This might be Cincinnati's single biggest home game, assuming this game was played this year, in 2020. That might be Cincinnati's single biggest home game in 10 years, right? The Cincinnati plays in the AAC. Sure, they play Memphis and they've played UConn in the past, but this might be the biggest home game they get in a while. And if Louisville comes this year without fans, there's a chance that they never get a program the quality of Louisville back to where they play at home, let alone Louisville specifically, which obviously would be great for the team, the program, the city of Cincinnati, the economy of Cincinnati. You'd think a lot of Louisville fans would go to Cincinnati to watch that game. So like, if Cincinnati loses that game... They might never get it back, as opposed to Louisville, which I'm pretty sure they've played Kentucky every year, I believe, since 1983. I'm pretty sure if this game gets played without fans, Louisville will still get Kentucky at home with fans in the stands at some point. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some stuff going on behind the scenes, and they're never going to play again after this year. I don't know. Maybe we won't have fans in the stands in three years from now, which is terrifying, and we have bigger issues than Kentucky-Louisville. But you can't compare Cincinnati-Louisville to Kentucky-Louisville. You can't compare a one-off home-and-home with Cincinnati to the greatest rivalry in college basketball. Furthermore, enough with the Kentucky-Louisville football game. Well, yeah, it got pushed back because they can't play at all. By SEC bylaw, they're not playing a single out-of-conference game. So it would only make sense to push it back because they're not playing at all. The option isn't even there. The option is there to play in basketball. You just don't really want to play Chris Mack, or at least that's the way you're making it seem. So I like Chris Mack. I credit Chris Mack, but I just don't buy this narrative. And I'll be honest, I think it looks a little bit weak. And I said it a few weeks ago when this topic first came up. 
But if you think about it, think about the circumstance that we're in. Everybody across all sports is in the most unprecedented time in the history of their sport, okay? The NBA Finals tipped off Wednesday night in a bubble. The Stanley Cup Finals ended Monday night in a bubble. Major League Baseball has been playing with no fans. College football has been playing with no fans. Everybody has to make sacrifices for this one season for the good of their sports. So why should Louisville be any different? Not a criticism, just a fact. Why should Louisville be any different? It's not like Louisville's the only one that's missing a big rivalry game. How about Ohio State football? They're supposed to host Michigan this year. You don't think Ryan Day would like to have 90,000 people in the horseshoe? You think Penn State, which is supposed to host Ohio State, wants to have 100,000 people at Beaver Stadium? How about the fact in ACC football, the North Carolina schools can't have any fans in the stands, but their opponents do have fans in the stands. So if you're North Carolina... You don't have any home field advantage when you're at home. Then you got to go to Florida State, Georgia Tech, and all these other schools that allow fans, and you're at a true disadvantage. And so to me, Chris Mack whining about having to play without fans in the stands, like to me, that just is like, it goes against the tenets of sports, right? It goes against the tenets of what coaches tell us in sports all the time. They tell us very simply, you know, it, no excuses, control what you can control, Let's just go out there and, and like, like we're, we're not going to blame anybody but ourselves. It's like those, that's what everybody is dealing with this year. And so the idea that it shouldn't apply to Chris Mack and Louisville, I just don't buy it. So I respect the heck out of Chris Mack for putting out the video. I do think the argument still, I, 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 I look, I respect him for putting out the video. I respect him for putting out his side of the facts so that everybody knows them. I also just completely disagree with the sentiment that Louisville is, is some, you know, sick and poor child that deserves a pat on the head because they're going to play Kentucky at home. That's just the reality of where we are in sports right now. So with that said, I get it. I like Chris Mack. I just totally disagree with him on this, but I would wrap on this topic by very simply saying one thing. Woo! Woo, buddy. It is great to have the Kentucky-Louisville rivalry back because I will tell you, I mentioned it a few minutes ago, but... There had been some sentiment over the last couple weeks, last couple months, last couple years that maybe the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry was getting too soft. That since Chris Mack got there, since Rick Pitino left, the hatred had disappeared. I hosted Kentucky Sports Radio a few years ago, had a caller ask me that question. Man, I really like Chris Mack. Does that make me a bad Kentucky fan? Well, I'll tell you what. That narrative is officially dead, that there is not enough bad blood in that rivalry, because I'll tell you what, there is some genuine bad blood, and it really does appear as though Chris Mack does not like John Calipari, and John Calipari, kind of some of his responses make it clear that maybe he doesn't think as much of Chris Mack as we all thought, but I thought this was great for the rivalry, I thought it was great for college hoops, and you know what's even better? The fact that we are getting this game on December 26th, as John Calipari said on Twitter. So with that said, we'll see you December 26th, Kentucky-Louisville. I'm fired up. All right, let's transition to some football. First of all, I do have kind of a pseudo-football basketball topic, and that's really quickly. I do just want to talk about the SEC decision with Joey Gatewood and Cade Mays. For people who do not know, Joey Gatewood transfer from Auburn to Kentucky. Cade Mays, a transfer from Georgia to Tennessee. What do those two guys have in common? Transfer from one SEC school to another. 
And both fan bases in both schools have been fighting for those kids' eligibility to play this season, essentially saying that it was extenuating circumstances that made them leave their two schools. I won't get into too many specifics. I won't waste anybody's time. But what I would say is a couple things. One, the reason they were not eligible is because the SEC has a rule about interconference transfers. In other words, a transfer who goes from one school in the conference to another. And basically, the rule is pretty steadfast, is you have to sit out. If you transfer from one school to another, you have to sit out for a year. Anyway, I think it was awesome. I think it was cool. Greg Sankey, the SEC office, made the announcement late Wednesday that they are overturning the rule for this one season because of just crazy extenuating circumstances for everybody. So Joey Gatewood gets eligible at Kentucky. There's a chance he could be their starting quarterback as early as Saturday against Ole Miss. Uh, and Cade Mays, who is a star offensive tackle, offensive lineman, he almost certainly will be playing for Tennessee when they play uh, when they play Missouri this weekend. They also have Georgia next weekend, so Cade Mays going against his former team. Don't really have much to add after, after that. I just think it's one of those deals. It's a crazy circumstance. It's different. It's new. Uh, and I don't blame the SEC offices for just saying, you know what, for one year, we're not going to make it a big deal. I would add there is a big notice with that in terms of basketball as well. I think it's actually great news for uh, the SEC in terms of Olivier Saar, who for people who do not know, highly rated transfer from Wake Forest going to Kentucky. He is out for a, a different rule, which basically states in the SEC that if you transfer in with less than one season of eligibility, with less than two seasons, so with one season of eligibility left, the rule is that you have to sit out regardless of where you come from. In other words, if you're not a grad transfer and you're coming for one year, you have to sit out for at least one year. But I do think if the SEC overturned this obscure rule in this particular moment in time because of the climate that we live in with COVID and everything, I think it's probably a good sign that Olivier Saar will eventually be ruled eligible by the SEC as well. At this point, he has been cleared by the NCAA to play next year, but or this coming season, not next season, this coming season, but it is in the SEC's hands, and I would suspect, I would suspect that Olivier Saar eventually gets eligible. All right, really quickly, a couple college football topics, then we'll get to Herschel Walker, the legend. First college football topic, did you see this story? kind of came out of nowhere. Apparently, the Pac-12 behind the scenes has been finagling to get the college football playoff to expand to eight teams this year. We didn't know about it, but we found out on Wednesday when the college football playoff just said, nope, sorry, too bad, uh, we will not expand this playoff, and so because of it, uh, the college football playoff will not be expanded. And I did think it was interesting, and I do, uh, listen, I'll say this, I've crushed Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, many times on this show throughout the years, but I'll tell you this, I do give him credit for shooting his shot on this one, right? Like, I, the idea that they were going to completely blow up the playoff structure for the Pac-12 didn't really make sense, especially on short notice, especially now that the season has already begun. But I do give him credit for at least trying because of the fact that if they did not expand the playoff, there's almost no chance that the Pac-12 can get anybody in. Remember, they are not starting until October 31st at the earliest. Some teams maybe not until the following week. And so when they're only playing six, seven games, it feels essentially impossible to put them in the playoff when the ACC and Big 12 and SEC are playing 11 or 12 games. But I don't blame the Pac-12 at all. 
Uh, I, I do think I do think that this is one of those stories, though, that if you just take out the Pac-12 element of it, I do see both sides to it. And I'm somebody, I think I've said on this show at various points, that I wouldn't have been opposed to expanding the playoff for this one season. And so in terms of the why, this is what I would say about the college football playoff. I am not a guy that, as a general rule, believes we should expand the playoff. I say it every year on this show. But most years, we have enough trouble finding a fourth team that's good enough for the playoff, let alone five, six, seven, eight. Um, And you can go back to last year, right? If you remember last year, college football playoff, number one seed was LSU, two was Clemson, three was Ohio State, and four was Oklahoma. And Oklahoma stunk, and they got crushed by LSU in the college football playoff. But even leading into it, there was a question about who should be the fourth seed. Should it be Oregon? Then Oregon lost late in the year. Should it be Utah? Remember, Utah was in the college football playoff conversation. Then they lost in the Pac-12 championship game, so they're out. Should it be Baylor if Baylor won the Big 12 last year? And so as a general rule, I'm not expand the playoff guy. I like it at four teams. I don't think we need to add four more teams when usually there's only one, two, maybe three teams that can actually win the national championship. But to the point I was making a minute ago, I do understand the idea of wanting to do it for this one season. I do get that idea because I do think it is going to be crazy trying to figure out who the four best teams in college football are, right? Like I just said a minute ago, most years you kind of have an idea. Big Big 10 plays 12 games, Big 12 plays 12 games, Pac-12, ACC, SEC, everybody's playing the same amount of games. We have an idea by the end of the year who the three or four best teams are. This year, I do think it's going to be pretty impossible to compare resumes when it comes to that four-team college football playoff because you're going to have ACC teams playing 12 games upwards, 11 regular season games plus the ACC championship. You're going to have the SEC teams playing 11 games, the teams that make the SEC championship. Then you're going to have the Big Ten, which is going to play nine, and the Pac-12, which is going to play like seven. And so I've talked about this on this show But what does the playoff committee do if, say, Florida and Alabama both run the table, both finish 10-0 in the regular season? What do they do with the loser of that game compared to Ohio State or compared to Oregon, somebody that goes undefeated um, in a seven- or eight-game schedule as opposed to teams that have played 10 or 11 games, especially this year in a league-only format? By the way, it's not just the SEC. You can translate that to the ACC as well. Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami maybe even. Could those teams finish 10-1, and have an argument? And what do you do with them relative to a 7-0 Ohio State team, an 8-0 Ohio State team? I just mentioned 7-0. What happens with an Ohio State team that's clearly the best team in the Big Ten, but what happens if they have a game or two canceled? So there's just so many variables in this that for this one season, I actually did have no problem with expanding it. I do think, though, the longer that I looked at this and the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized it probably just wasn't possible. I think, first of all, logistically, it just feels really hard to figure out a way to play an eight-team playoff. Do you play it on campus? Do you play it off campus? What do you do with testing? What do you do with travel? Do you come in early? Do you stay late? Do you create a bubble? I mean, it's just really, really, really hard to just figure that stuff out on the fly, especially when you're talking about, again, teams traveling, maybe staying in a state where every law is a little, little bit different, right? Like if Clemson and, and um, you know, whoever Florida are playing in the Rose Bowl, 
they may have a different quarantine policy when they get to California than if Alabama and Ohio State are playing in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. It's just a different deal. And so because of it, to add all these layers of adding four extra games to the playoff, uh, it just didn't make sense. And then I think for the second perspective, I kind of agree with the College Football Playoff Committee because I think very simply... I just don't see why we're going to reward these teams that came to the party late, right? Like, like I get the argument from the Pac-12's perspective. We're only going to play six, seven games. So we want a spot at the, the table. We want to try to get into this playoff. But if you're the ACC, if you're the SEC, if you're the Big 12, if you've been going nonstop since June, why are you going to punish your teams for doing everything right, for being patient, for not rushing the process, and for actually getting games on the field in September and forcing the Big Ten and Pac-12's hand to get their own games in September. So to me, this just feels like one of those, I see both sides, but I do ultimately think that the college football playoff committee did make the right decision. All right, really quickly, do want to wrap up with the college football picks for the weekend. Let me tell you this, people. Picks have been red hot, 10-4 and four against the spread on the season. Don't know what the percentage is, but that's close to, what, between 60 and 70%. Um, three straight winning weeks. Last week, I did tell you to take Mississippi State plus the points that went outright. Told you Georgia, Arkansas under. That one hits with ease. So here are my picks for this week, and I'll say this. Um, my picks this week, very SEC heavy. Last week, I didn't really want to get too much into betting the SEC. I thought there were too many unknowns going into week one. This week, I do feel really good about some of these games. So what I will do is I will talk about these SEC games as well as two Big 12 bets that I will be making. And as I always tell you, if you want to bet my bookie, use my bookie promo code Torres. You can double your sign-up bonus. So you want to bet 50 bucks on Bama, you want to bet 50 bucks on Kentucky, uh, Auburn, Georgia, whoever. They'll give you 100 to play with. Also, the full write-up for these picks is on my personal website at AaronTorresOnline.com. Uh, and so with that said, let's just jump into it. So my picks for this week, these are my official gambling picks. Again, 10-4 and four against the spread so far this season, people. All right, here is who I have. And I told you, they're very SEC heavy. So we'll start with the SEC games. First game, noon kickoff, Missouri against Tennessee. Missouri is an 11.5-point underdog. And I just don't get that point spread. I really don't. This is no knock on Tennessee. Tennessee has been great. They have been phenomenal. They actually, believe it or not, have the longest win streak in Power 5 football right now at seven games. But when I look at this game, I look at it from two different perspectives. One, shout out to Missouri. I thought they actually looked better than I was expecting against, against Alabama. Season opener, Alabama, new head coach, new quarterback. Your head coach, by the way, came from App State, had one year of being a head coach as experience before he gets to Missouri. I thought they played pretty well. They were down 28-3 to at halftime. They were respectable in the second half. Alabama did play a lot of its backups in the second half, but Missouri kept fighting, and I just give them credit because, to me, they played hard, and they weren't afraid of Alabama, and I think in this day and age, that's actually like a legitimately big deal is that you're not afraid of Alabama because if you're not afraid of Alabama, that's a good sign going forward. So I think Missouri's probably a little bit better than I expected, and as far as Tennessee, there's no disrespect. We have a lot of Tennessee fans that listen to this show, but... 
Are we getting a little bit too excited about Tennessee? I mean, when you think about it, yes, they've won seven straight games dating back to last year, but four of those games were by four points or less, including last Saturday at South Carolina. Easily could have lost that game. Still don't know what I'm getting out of Jarrett Garantano. So because of it, I will take Missouri to cover the 11.5 points. I do think Tennessee wins outright, though. Staying in the SEC, 3.30 kickoff. Bama hosting A&M. And I just told you about Bama and what I think. I think Bama looked good in their own right on Saturday. I know the final score was 36-19. You think, oh, Bama, they didn't blow them out like they usually do. Well, they were up 28-3 at halftime, and they wanted to get their backups some reps. And you have to always factor that in going forward um, because of the fact that you didn't have those out-of-conference games. Bama didn't have New Mexico State and Eastern Carolina and whoever else they're going to play um, to get their backups reps. And so because of it, Bama still won by close to three touchdowns, and Missouri's last touchdown came on the final play of the game. So the score was 38-13 to 13 going into the final five seconds of the game before Missouri scored, uh, and I think Bama's really good. In terms of A&M, look, you know my policy. I try not to crush college kids. I just don't buy the Kellen Mond stuff. I just don't buy it. I don't get what the hype is. My bet for this game is this. Alabama is a 17-point favorite, but I actually like the first half spread in this game. So the first half spread will be about nine and a half, nine points. I would take the first half. I think Alabama jumps out big. I think they win convincingly. But again, you don't have to sweat out the second half because I think they get up big and roll. Going to the evening time, going to the evening time, uh, Georgia hosting Auburn. You guys know my stance on Auburn. I got crushed by Auburn fans for saying it the other day, but I don't believe that they looked that impressive in the win over Kentucky. Kentucky had a touchdown taken off the board that was total BS. Mark Stoops wouldn't even comment on it because he said he'd get fined by the SEC offices. Then on top of that, two late turnovers give Auburn 14 points. The two scoring drives that put the game away for Auburn were within the 30 yard, like they got it in, you know, at, at within the Kentucky 30 yard line and were able to drive from there. I don't buy Auburn. I don't buy Bo Nix. I do buy Georgia to a degree. I think Georgia's the better team. I think Georgia's the best defense that Auburn will face. And I do think once they got the situation figured out at quarterback with Stetson Bennett, that they were really good. We may see JT Daniels. I don't think Kirby Smart goes crazy, but I like Georgia minus six and a half, and I like the under of 44 and a half in that game. Final SEC bet, Arkansas at Mississippi State. And I'll tell you this, nobody loves Mike Leach more than your boy AT, okay? Love Mike Leach, made me a lot of money last week, took uh, Mississippi State plus the points. The over-under in this game is 69 and a half. And I just think that's way, 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 way too high. So why I think it's too high is because of the fact that um, when I look at this game, I think of a couple things. One, I thought Arkansas's defense actually looked pretty good under Barry Odom last week. Not saying Mississippi State isn't going to score, but what I am saying is I wouldn't be surprised if, if Arkansas does a reasonable job of keeping them in check. Would not be surprised, by the way, if Mississippi State comes in a little bit overconfident. And oh, by the way, in terms of talking about an over-under of 69.5 points, I actually thought Mississippi State's defense looked good too. Don't look at the final score. Look at the fact that they sacked Miles Brennan seven times because of it. I do like the under in this game of 69 and a half. The other three SEC games I will stay away from. Florida hosting South Carolina. Was really impressed by Florida. Really surprised by how good Kyle Trask looked. 
Uh, but 18 and a half points, listen, they're going to win. It could be by 14. It could be by 21. That one's just a stay away to me, especially because I thought South Carolina looked good. Uh, Kentucky Ole Miss is definitely a stay away, especially now that Joey Gatewood may be eligible. Uh, that's just a weird game where I think Ole Miss... They know the only way that they can win games this year is by outscoring you. Kentucky likes to run the ball, control the clock, do all those sorts of things. So because of it, I'll stay away from that one. And LSU, Vandy, I'll stay away from. I don't know what I'm going to get from LSU. Two other bets that I do like, in addition to the SEC games that I just told you about, I do like uh, Baylor, West Virginia under. I don't think either of those teams is very dynamic offensively. Baylor going on the road, defensive head coach. He's going to try to take the air out of the ball. And I do like Texas Tech plus two and a half over K-State. I know K-State just beat Oklahoma, but they had a game where they had 10 total first downs, uh, and, and Oklahoma just basically gave them that game on the platter. I think it says a lot that they won that game, they come home, and they're only a two and a half point favorite. So here are my bets again for this weekend. Missouri plus 11 and a half, Baylor, West Virginia under 53 and a half, Bama first half minus nine and a half against A&M, Texas Tech plus two and a half over Kansas State, Georgia minus six and a half against Auburn. I also like the under in that game of 44 and a half and the under in the Mississippi State game as well. If you want to read more about those picks, go to AaronTorresOnline.com. But all right, I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I am going to get out of here, but before I do, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Uh, make sure you're following on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod. Make sure you're following on Instagram at Aaron Torres Pod. Coming up now, Herschel Walker. And I do want to remind you, the last question is politically based. I just, I just asked him about what it was like to speak at the Republican National Convention. It's nothing crazy, but that was part of the agreement to have him. And I wanted Herschel Walker. I think he's an incredible guest. I think you're going to enjoy the interview. All I would say is that if you do feel like that's something you're not interested in, just chop off the last five minutes. It's the last question, and I think you guys will enjoy the rest of the interview. We talk again about his football career, about his bobsledding career, about his push-up routine, a lot of good stuff with Herschel Walker, who really is the most interesting man in the world. So Herschel Walker coming up. That is all for me for right now. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Enjoy the college football this weekend. And here, 1982 Heisman Trophy winner, Olympian Herschel Walker. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, this is an absolute pleasure. Heisman Trophy winner, Georgia legend, NFL legend, USFL legend, MMA, bobsled. I mean, Herschel Walker, you have lived a crazy life, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's funny because, you know, I have all these questions lined up, you know, on a notepad and all that stuff. And then we get to talking uh, before we start recording here. And so a little, little known fact about me. I'm completely obsessed with the Heisman House commercials. Uh, and I find out that they're, they're filmed about a mile from where I live. Uh, so first yes. of all, what is the Heisman House like? What is it like to get uh, all those guys together? Have you ever actually hung it? Like, like, 
do, do they make you, I wish they made you stay in the house long term and like turn it into a reality show. But what can you tell America about the Heisman House? Because that's like my favorite thing in the world is the Heisman House. Well, I, you know, I hate to tell you, I think uh, you, you hit something that they ought to do is turn it into a reality show because I think it would probably be one of the best reality shows ever to hit the, hit the market because when you get a bunch of athletes together, it is absolutely funny. It is absolutely incredible. And you see these guys, not as these athletes, but you see them as, as, as people. And people see the intelligence that these guys have, that they're not brutes. And, and then you just see uh, guys that are able to get along. You see those that learn from each other. And it is really, really funny. And, you know, we just got a new Heisman house uh, not long ago. You know, our original one, you know, we, they ended up selling it. And we got a new beautiful Heisman house that they've been doing the commercials out of for the last couple of years. And I tell you, what, it is always a joy for me to do the Heisman commercials because I get an opportunity to see some great, great guys that, uh, you know, they represent their class. And I tell you, what, they're very, very great people to be around. All right. So tell us, uh, if, if we're in the Heisman house right now, uh, who's the sloppiest out of everybody in the Heisman house? Like, who would you have to pick up after, tell them to clean up their room, or who, who would that guy be? Oh, well, you know, I better not say that. I do <laughs> okay. one of the cleanest guys, one of the cleanest guys, I'm going to say, and, and I was a teammate of his uh, in Dallas, is Tony Dorsett. Okay. You know, Tony, Tony was my roommate for three years in Dallas, and it was funny because we had another roommate by the name of, Todd Fowler. Todd was a fullback on the team, and we were roommates for three years. And what was so unusual was we would not leave each other. Todd was probably the messiest guy you ever had. And I probably was <laughs> semi-clean, but Tony was absolutely spick. He was very clean. He liked stuff very, very well put together, organized. And you know, and I'm semi like that. Todd was totally the opposite, but we would not leave each other. So you'd go to Todd's room, which is a total mess. You go to my room, which is a little bit cleaner. Then you go to a Tony's room, and it's spotless. Okay. So I think if you're going to go to someone who's going to be a, a spotless room, it's going to be Tony Dorsett. So it, it, I believe that. And so how fun is it for you, too? And I don't know the last year you've done a commercial. I can't remember if you're in this year's. But, you know, obviously you're an icon in the sport of football. I mean, how fun is it to get to meet a Baker Mayfield, a Kyler Murray, a Lamar Jackson. I don't know who you have and have not met, but some of these younger guys that are kind of that next generation of football. Well, you know, it, it is always fun for me to meet those guys because, you know, one thing that is very interesting, a lot of people don't know, and even I played this game a long time, a lot of people know, don't know I don't follow football. You know, okay. I didn't grow up watching football, and, uh, you know, a lot of the Heisman winners of the past you know, I, I learned about them from reading about them. And, and the guys of today, you know, their name is so big now because of the social media world. So I get a chance to see who they are and know who they are. And it's good to meet them and, because, you know, you always see them as an athlete. But I know that there's a person there as well. So it's always uh, – I'm always excited to meet them and learn about them, learn where they're from and learn a little bit about their background, learn about their family and all that, their kids, if they have kids. Because, you know, that's important to me, to know how you're getting along as a person. Because, you know, I learned from Coach Landry, who I think is one of the finest coaches I've ever uh, played for. He said, if, you're, if your home life is not together, playing on the field is not going to be together as well. So huh. normally, if a guy is winning the Heisman Trophy, that must mean that things around him is, is doing pretty good. And uh, so uh, I like to know what's going on with him. Just find out a little about them as a person.
Do you find that to be reflective of the guys that you meet? Because I think about, you know, uh, a Lamar Jackson, it's very well known how close he is with his mother. Uh, Kyler Murray, him and his father were both high quality athletes and you could tell his father had a big role in his life. I mean, not naming anybody specific, but do you find that to be true that a lot of these guys, the credit goes to their families, their wives, their parents, their kids, things like that? No, there's no doubt the credit goes to them because, you know, I think they realize, and as an athlete, I don't care who you are, what sport you play, you don't do it alone. And it's it not just your play, your teammates, but it's your family. Your family means a great deal. Your family could be your players that you play with. Your family could be your girlfriend or, your, or whatever. But you have a family that, that always lifts you up when you're feeling down because things are not going to always go your way. And I think that's in the, that's in the normal, in normal life as well. Now I tell everybody, things are not going to always go your way, but you can always pick yourself up. No matter, you can always get up. Don't ever stay down. You know, uh, you're, you're going to have those tough times, but in life, that's where life is. But you get up, and that's what a Heisman Trophy winner does. He gets up and he keeps going. But he don't make it there alone because, let me tell you, to get to that, to get to that pedestal, you got to have a great team. you got to have a great coaches. you got to have a great organization. And that's why I tell people, you know, and not to jump from there to uh, pro ball, but, you know, people used to talk about the Patriots. And I used to say, guys, you know what's so interesting about them is, you know, Tom Brady was the only guy that they kept on the team sometimes. A lot of guys, they let go. So it's a credit to that organization that they're still winning Super Bowls, not just the players. It's got to be the people in the front office. It's got to be the coaches. It's got to be the fans. Because it's not just, uh, it's not just one player or two players. It's a team. And when you win a championship, there's a whole organization, and, it, and that's the way it is in college football as well. Very interesting. You know, you, you talked a little – you mentioned this off the top. I, I found it really interesting in doing some research before this call. You know, you said you weren't uh, interested much in sports as a kid, and I read, I read that you did a lot of poetry and you, you wrote a lot in journals and things like that. Um, so when, when did you get serious about sports? Did you like, uh, you know, it's, I just found that very interesting because a lot of guys, myself included, you know, that play any kind of sport. And I certainly didn't play at the level that you did, but you know, you, um, you know, you, you grow up, eat, sleep, breathe. And it sounds like, you know, you had a, a different background where there were some things that you were interested in outside of sports, which I found interesting. Well, you know, I was, I was bullied as a little kid. Can you believe that? Herschel Walker was bullied as a little kid. I was overweight, had a speech impediment. And it was, it was strange because I found my niche at reading and uh, really uh, trying to overcome my speech impediment. And I got into sports just to try to get out of doing chores around the house. My mom made me work around the house. And I thought get playing sports to get me out of that. But one of the things that I learned from my parents, and I'm going to tell all the kids out there and everyone that's listening, Whatever you do, you do it well. Meaning you don't, you don't, you, if, you're, if you're a garbage collector, you be the best garbage collector you can. Well, my, my thing is, and I tell people this all the time, I'm, I'm a competitor. I don't care what it is. If I'm going to show up, I'm going to compete. And I'm going to compete and be one of the best at it because I'm going to work hard. I'm going to train it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to learn it. And that's the way I've always have done. You know, I think I was a decent football player, but I also think I was a decent track runner, a decent MMA fighter. But, you know, I will hold my own against anyone in the country. And that's why I tell people, guys, I'm just an athlete. You know, uh, whether you say I'm one of the best, I don't know. But I tell you what, when I step out on the field, people know I'm going to bring a lot to the table because I'm going to compete. That's one thing I will do.
You know, you mentioned all the bullying stuff and, you know, you've been very outspoken about this throughout your, your time, really. And I think it's an important note, you know, and, and then I think it also plays into some of the stuff, you know, it, you do a lot of push-ups every day. You do a lot of sit-ups every day. Was there a conscious decision um, from you? You know, you said you were a little bit overweight to get into shape. I mean, how did that, because listen, we all know you now, you know, the, the, the bruising running back, the MMA fighter, but obviously it was a lot different as a child. I mean, did you make a conscious decision? I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to change my life. Or was it just something that came naturally? How did that happen? No, I did. Uh, the last day of school in the eighth grade, I got beat up. Oh. Uh, and I remember going home crying and I was on the bus and everyone was making fun of this fat stuttering kid going home crying on the bus. And I got home and I started watching Gilligan Island. And as I started watching Gilligan Island, my nickname is Bo. And I remember just hearing a voice saying, Bo, you need to quit that crying. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. And that's the day of my life I started working out. That's where the push-ups, the sit-ups, the pull-ups, and all that came into place. And going to the library, getting books, reading to myself. Because, you know, uh, as I was telling you, you got to pick yourself up when you get knocked down. Well, I was not picking myself up. All I was doing was feeling sorry for myself. And I thought uh, I, was, I was living in that world that everybody get a trophy. But that's not, that's not the world I need to live in. I need to live in a world that, you know, people have to work. People work for what they get. And I, I, I started working out, and I started to see some results. But I didn't see results to become an athlete or become valedictorian in my class, even though that was something that I thought was great. But I saw results to love who I was and, and to feel good about who I was. And that's what I want everyone to know out there is you got to love yourself. You got to love who you are. You got to love what you look like, what you sound like, and not worry about what everybody else think about you. You know, in today's world, because there's social media world, everybody's always out there worrying about how people feel about them. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, don't worry about that. Worry about what you feel about yourself. And that's what I had to do is get secured with myself. And that's what made me a better person. You know, it's really funny you bring that up. So I, I know you probably don't follow a ton of the NBA, but, you know, we're recording here right before the NBA finals start. And, and I brought this up, you know, the star player, of the Miami Heat, uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, his parents basically abandoned him when he was a child. Um, he went to a junior college, slept on couches. And I thought that was really symbolic of, you know, I, I, I feel like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like too many people these days there's always an excuse. It's somebody else's fault. It's the system. It's my boss. It's this, it's that. And I, listen, I've got, I'm not saying I'm a perfect person. I mean, I've made excuses on some days and I don't want to get up as well. But, you know, one thing I try to pride myself in is, is, you know, like you said, pick myself up. You know, if I have a bad day, don't let it turn into two days. I mean, do you find now that maybe people, maybe you don't, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you find yes. people today have too many excuses? Because it's something that I feel like I see is, is, for me, everything that, you know, so much of the success I've had comes directly from hard work. And I feel like a lot of people try to skip steps these days, if that makes sense. Well, I totally feel that way. I think today I still believe in if you teach a guy to fish rather than giving him a fish. Like I said early on, I don't believe in the world that everybody get a trophy. I think we have to, you know, I tell uh, everyone, you know, when a kid strikes out and he starts crying, I'm not going to go give him a trophy. What I'm going to do is take him to the batting cage and show him how to do it. I think we all got to learn that. I think this is not a free where everything is free. We got to get up and we got to work. You know, uh, and also we got to help each other. And, you know, I, I believe in helping each other. I believe in togetherness. And, and I think that's the thing is everybody, you know, you, you, you start feeling sorry for yourself. And you start, like, getting down on yourself. You start getting down on others. And, and I don't believe in that. I believe that we all can contribute. We all can contribute. What made it, the United States of America the greatest country in the world 
is God mixed us all together in this melting pot. It doesn't matter about your color, your race, your religion. He put us in this melting pot and he stirred us up and he brought out this beautiful uh, United States of America, which is the greatest country in the world. But you know, you, and there's no doubt, some people, they're gonna have depression. Some people are gonna be let down. Some people are gonna need a little bit of help. But that's the reason we have others here to help them. And I think, uh, you know, even though I picked myself up by, as people may say, my boots scraps or whatever, but I didn't even have boots. I couldn't even afford boots. So what I did is I had uh, people like my parents and my brothers and sisters that kept making me feel good about myself. And then I had a high school coach that had a chance to coach my two older brothers. And he sort of realized that Herschel got to have something out there. And he started working with me at the church on Sundays that he took an interest in to help me to overcome different things. And that's what I said, you know, I didn't get here by myself. No one else, I don't care what athlete that have made it to the level that I am or made it to the college level, you didn't get there by yourself. There's somebody that has helped you along the way and you got to remember that. Whenever you get that you think that you did everything by yourself, you must be living in a total world without people because you need someone to get anywhere. I probably made myself sound like a little bit of a jerk there when I said that, you know, I, what I, the success that I've had has come through hard work. You're right. There are a lot of people that have helped me along the way. Oh, no, you got to have, no, you're right. You got to have hard work. But, you, and that's what I'm talking about. You got to work hard. One of the things I tell my, my son, I said, Christian, if you want anything in life, you got to work extremely hard because everybody else wants what you don't want. Don't think that you're special. So if your opponent is getting up at five o'clock in the morning, you got to get up at four. If you get up at four, you get up at three. He get up at three, you get up at two. If you get up at two, you get up at one. If you get up at one, don't go to sleep. <laughs> and, I, and what I mean by that is if you want it, that if you want it, if you don't want it, it's okay. It's okay because, you know, everybody can't win at all. But my thing is if you want it, you got to sacrifice. And that's what I mean is saying I don't – and you have to work hard. And, you know, you know about that. And I tell people this, guys, I never went to a bar. I never drank. I never tasted beer before in my life because – I knew I had a responsibility of getting a scholarship, going to college, playing football, running track. My parents didn't send me there to chase girls, even though that would have been wonderful. They didn't send me there to go to bars, even though that would have been wonderful. But they sent me there to uh, honor my responsibility with my scholarship and also do my grades. And I said, I, and that's the way I was programmed. I wasn't programmed anything else. And I, and I believe in that. And I believe you got to work hard, you know, and people don't know this, you know, when I was at Georgia, you, you go back to me fighting in MMA. When I was at Georgia during, uh, you know, I would go to practice and did all that stuff and, and right before, I didn't have to go to study hall because I was getting good grades, but I would take time to go to a martial arts class. I used to train martial arts uh, at the class and even during for three years while I was at Georgia, I would play on Saturdays. I went to church Sunday morning. I played in martial arts tournament Sunday afternoon. I did that all my years at Georgia, and people didn't even know I was doing that. But I said, you know, I want to make myself better. I believe in the mental side of martial arts. It's not just fighting. It's more of a mental side of martial arts and because it, it builds overall. It's an art. That's the reason they call it martial arts. So I believe in building myself mentally and physically as well. That's so, that's so interesting. There's so many different ways I could take it from there. What, you know, and I was thinking about this when you mentioned it is, is the positive reinforcement that you felt when you started getting into shape, even back to eighth, ninth grade and the help you had along the way. Um, 
is that a life lesson? I mean, because I, it feels like the life lesson there is maybe you got to start somewhere, right? And like, you know, we can all speak to good moments, bad moments. You know, I think to the beginning of this pandemic where so many people looked themselves in the mirror and said, this is my opportunity to get in shape, to do something uh, productive. I know for myself with my work, I wanted to, to do certain things. Uh, is that, was that a lesson that you took from eighth, ninth grade of, it, it, again, kind of if I put in the work, it works out, but it feels like once you did start on that path, I'm going to do 1500 pushups a day, whatever it is, number of sit-ups that I am seeing results and that there is positives coming out of all this. I know it is because once you start seeing results, sometimes you take it even farther. And that's what I did. And one of the things I tell people also, as you mentioned it earlier, you got to start somewhere. Sure. You know, it's not, it's not like, uh, you know, everybody, I see everybody go, I want to be Stephen Curry. I want to be Tiger Woods. And I always tell them, have you seen Stephen Curry with the videotapes when his father, when he's a little boy out there shooting baskets? Have you seen Tiger Woods with the film or his daddy got him on the Johnny Carson show at three years old hitting a golf ball? It's not like the, they just came right out of the womb and they became a professional at that sport. They've trained thousands of times. They've shot that, I bet Stephen Curry shot that basket thousands of times. Tiger Woods hit that ball hundreds of thousands of times. It ain't like it just happened. You have to put the time in. You have to work. You have to like do it. It's dedication. And, and I tell people, if you don't want it, it's okay. That may not be for you. And, you know, I, and I think one of the things we put emphasis on like success is you being a, a great athlete or being a great entertainer where people can see you and stuff. And I think a success is when you can go to sleep at night in peace. You know, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're peaceful. Maybe you, you're stressed out. Success is when you can go to sleep at night and be peaceful at sleep, at rest, or taking care of your family. That's what success is to me. You know, I, I, you know, I came from a small town in South Georgia. You know, I never would have dreamed that I would have ever had a chance to play professional football. That, that dream is too far to reach. But because I've had an opportunity to do that, it is my responsibility for my Lord Jesus that I got to tell all the other kids, you can do the exact same thing I'm doing. You know, Herschel Walker is nobody special. You, I'm, what, I'm who you are. I don't care where you're from, inner city, country, I don't care where you're from. I am you. You got to dedicate yourself and you got to work and you got to go get it. And, and, and I say sacrifice. But I said, if you don't want that, it is okay. Remember early on, I said, if you're going to be a trash guy, be the very best trash guy out there. Be the best one you can be. If you're going to be a football player, be the best one you can be out there. Mean is sacrifice. And that's what I've always have known to do in my life. Very good. You know, you mentioned your time at Georgia. I, I think I knew this, but I'd forgotten. You were like this close to skipping college football and going into the military. Is that correct? That was totally correct. You know, I really wanted to go to the military. I thought I was cut out to be a Marine. You know, I love, I love uh, the military. And, uh, you know, that I... I think the military are true heroes. All the men and women of service, I think they're true heroes. I want to be, you know, and go into the police and, uh, and stuff. I love the police. I love the blue. And, and I've always had, I mean, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I didn't sign to go to college until Easter Sunday in April. Wow. And, you know, signing day is in February. And the reason I, didn't, I waited so long is I couldn't bring myself to tell my parents I didn't really want to go to college. I want to go to the military. Well, when my mom asked me uh, about uh, deciding to school, uh, but before I can even tell I want to go to the military, she said, you know what, let me tell you this here, Bo. Bo, my nickname is Bo. She said, uh, if your mind and your heart is pure of the Lord Jesus, it really don't matter about your decision because God will make it right for you. 
and uh, people don't need to laugh, but I flipped the coin. Mm -hmm. I flipped the coin to the side on the military go to, and whether to go to college, and it came up for me to go to college, and then I was upset <laughs> that God wasn't going to let me do what I want to do. Now I'm not going to the University of Georgia. So I tried to, I figured my family and everybody in my town and everybody in the state of Georgia wanted me to go to Georgia. So I was trying to get Georgia to lose this coin toss. So I flipped between Georgia and Clemson University and Georgia won that flip. And he won the best out of five on that. Wow. Then it was Georgia against USC. And it won the best out of five on that one. I even pulled the names out of a bag. And uh, I pulled Georgia all three times for both schools, for both uh, contests. And what was weird, I said I was going to Georgia. This is what was interesting. I didn't even mean it at that time. I went outside to play my younger brother. They called up all the coaches and the reporters and told them I had decided, and everyone showed up at my home that night. I was too embarrassed to tell them I was joking, that I signed <laughs> to go to the University of Jordan. I really didn't want to go. But what was interesting is, uh, you know, my whole life, and I tell people this, I say, you know, Herschel Walker is not perfect, and I never will be. But I know I have a faith. I, I believe in the Lord Jesus. I know I'm going to work hard. I'm not going to be perfect, but as long as I, I think I keep my eye on the prize, and that's uh, the, my teaching from my parents, from my Lord Jesus, and listen to my coaches, listen to the people that are of authority that, that is leading me, I'm going to be okay. And I've always have been like that. And, 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 and I tell the young people out there, I say, guys, you know, things are not going to always go your way, but, you know, just always, you know right from wrong. That's what's so interesting. We all know right from wrong. We all know that when you're young, you shouldn't be drinking. You shouldn't be using drugs. You know, that, that's a given. We all know that. You know, and I don't go and just tell people that. What I do and try to tell people is tell them who they are, that they're somebody special. Tell them how great they are. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to tell them that all the negative things. I want to tell you the positive things, that you're blessed. You're totally blessed. You have a power within you that is un, unmeasurable. But you can't reach that potential if you're going to hinder it by putting yourself behind the eight ball. And you know, you can't reach that potential if your opponent is running three miles, you just decided to run a lap. You know, you gotta, you gotta do what he's doing or even more. And that's what I try to tell people to do. Have you ever taken the time to consider how different your life would be if the coin had flipped the other way and you went to the military? Well, you know what's interesting is General, General Williams, uh, he's a general that he and I, you know, when I was in high school, I visited West Point. Oh, wow. General Williams, who's a three-star, and I was at West Point together as, as student, and he's a three-star, and I, I'm a football player. And I think about it, and I say, you know, uh, it's something that I never really look back on. You know, I, I, like I said, I think those the true heroes are our, uh, our American service men and women, our first responders, and I think I would belittle them by saying where I would be at if I went to the sure. service. I may have quit. You know, it may have been too tough for me because you know, I've been very privileged. You know, I work with a program called Patriot Support that's having to move the stigma of mental health with the military. So every three weeks I was at a base where I may be doing PT with them or doing combative or training and talking to them that there's no shame to ask for help. And I said, they, it's tough. You know, the training is, is tough and, and they go through it and, and maybe Herschel Walker would have quit. You know, I don't know. Uh, so I don't, I, I try not to look at that because I'm not going to belittle what they're doing by saying if I could have done it. Because, uh, you know, I, I've been out in the water with the seals, and I can tell you right now, I couldn't have done that. You know, I'm not what you call a water guy. And I was out there only for a little while. They were out there a lot longer, so I know I couldn't have finished that class there. That's so funny. 
do you uh, – real quick, the Georgia stuff. I mean, obviously, look, many people still remember you from those days. Georgia has a big game this weekend at Auburn. Um, you know, what, what – or I guess it's at Georgia, but they're playing Auburn. Um, what are your best memories for that, from that time? Because, you know, you go to school, you play ball, you run track, you, you win a national championship, you win a Heisman. I mean, it's a lot to talk about in just a couple questions, but I don't want to take your whole day here because I could talk to you about this stuff all day. But what are some of the better memories from your time in Athens? Well, you know, I, I would say that's one of the best times of my life. You know, I went to a university, even though it's a large university, but it seemed just like a small home for me. You know, what was so great about me is I had a sister there by the name of Veronica who ran track and uh, a couple of people from my hometown, Renee uh, Thompson, who was there. And, and, you know, some friends, a guy by the name of Francisco Ross from uh, Barcelona, Spain, who uh, was sort of like my big brother, Nat Hudson. You know, I, I had a family there and the team was a family. And it was just like I moved from Wrightsville where I had this close-knit family and moved to the University of Georgia where it seemed the same, even though it was a big campus. And, you know, I love learning. I love going to class. I love learning. And I got an opportunity to play this game called football there and learn some more from some great coaches like Coach Dooley and, uh, you know, my coach, Mike Cavan, and, and uh, you know, run track. And, you know, it was absolutely incredible. And it's a memory that I always will have because, you know, uh, and, I, and I, would, I would advise everybody on the campus, you know, get the most you can out of that campus. Learn as much you can. Make as many friends you can on the campus because, you know, I, I walked away from that with a lot of friends. I walked away from that with, on a great campus with great memories. No, 100%. And do, do you think, you know, I, as someone who covers college sports and, and my experience, I went to the University of Connecticut. Some of my best friends I met there, some of my best friends I made there. Do you feel like as you look at sports now, there's too much emphasis on sports, not enough on education? Because it just feels like specifically in football and basketball, I understand the money is life-changing. I understand it can change generations for your family, but it just does feel like the, the, the whole college experience that you got – uh, a lot of people are trying to bypass it or find a way around it, and there's not enough of a focus on becoming kind of a well-rounded person outside of athletics. Well, I, I do, and and you know, and I preach about that. I preach about it all the time, and I, I uh, you know, I try to advocate at one time, and I'm still talking about it that you know because they're taking on the classmen and uh, now in the NFL or even in the NBA. If a guy goes off to uh, make a team and he don't make it, I think that team should be responsible for sending an invite to get his education. Yeah. I don't know why that's not something that they want to put in place because, you know, they talk about putting good citizen into the community. How can you know something better than that? Now, since the athlete know that he's not going to make it as a professional, now he's going to work on getting that education because education is so important. I tell people this all the time. You can, uh, at 30 in the professional sports, you're starting to get old. Well, you can still be present in your 70s in, the, in, in, in this United States, and you can't be present without having an education. What I mean by that is having the intelligence to understand what's going on. So I love being able to put more emphasis on education because that's what's going to take that athlete even farther. And at the same time, one thing that was so great at, uh, for myself uh, is that, you know, when I was in, when I was in college, you know, I, I, I ended up signing, if you remember back then, it was one of the largest uh, contract for a professional athlete, for a football player. And what was strange is that my agency that was representing me made me go to a finance class. Oh, and wow. they put me on an allowance. That's what they did. They put me on an allowance. Like, wait a minute, why are you putting me on an allowance? I make money. They'd be like, no, no, no. You're going to go to a finance class. You're going to learn this. 
and they made me do that. And I, you know, and I suggest that a lot of athletes should do that. Go to a finance class, learn about finance, learn about your money, learn about the taxes, learn about all those things. And that helped me out a lot. You know, it helped me out a lot uh, today. You know, I got my own businesses that are going well. And, and, and that's why I want to tell the athlete, take it on, upon yourself to learn more for yourself. Because in professional sports now, it's not about uh, you as this, this, this college athlete being told everything. Now you got to get out and you got to live. You got a family. You got a family to take care of. You know, you, gotta, you now got a profession that when you're not, you know, they're not going to worry about telling you what time to get up to go eat. They're not going to worry about telling you what time to get up to be at the meeting. It's got to be on you now. So you got to take the time out to, uh, to study that and realize that. It's so funny you mentioned, you know, your USFL contract, because I was thinking about this before. If I remember, and I, I saw your documentary a few years back, I, don't, I didn't have time to watch it before we got on the phone today, but um, I think you took probably a little bit of flack for leaving Georgia early, and I was thinking about that relative to now where guys skip bowl games, you know, obviously this season specifically guys are opting out, some for health reasons, some not, and obviously if it's a health reason, we understand their decision. I was just thinking about how different it was. You took a lot of flack for leaving after your junior year, Heisman Trophy, all sorts of SEC records. Now we got guys skipping out of, you know, all sorts of stuff to, to kind of get to that next level. Oh, yeah, they do. And I flipped the coin again. <laughs> don't, don't get mad. I flipped the coin again and it asked me to leave. But then I went back, back to school. Uh, you know, even when I went to the USFL, I was back in class during the offseason. Yep. And that's why I suggest to a lot of the guys, you know, you go back to class, don't, don't just leave the education behind. You go back and you, you, you learn. You know, I think there are some guys that are ready to go to professional, but then I think there are some, I think the league may give them those false promises that they can make it. And that day, professional sports are very difficult. You know, I think sometimes people, not to be mean, they look at a basketball player or a golfer or a baseball player, oh, man, I can do that, I can do that. Well, I'm here to tell you, God, it ain't as easy as you think it is. You know, uh, you know I, I trained martial arts for almost 30 some years before I even went to, uh, before I even went to MMA. Well, I can tell you right now, I was a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo. But if I had stepped into that octagon or that cage, just with my black belt in Taekwondo, I would have been destroyed. What helped me out more than anything is going to a training camp with some true, true fighters, some real, real fighters that like Cain Velasquez, Daniel Cormier, Luke Rockhold, Josh Thompson, uh, John Fitch, uh, all those guys there. That's where I went to the training camp with. But I was there for nine months, and I trained almost five days a week, almost nine hours a day for five, for almost left or nine months. That's where I trained, and I think that's what made me able to step into that cage to compete at that level. And that's why I tell guys, don't think that we seeing somebody on television that something look easy. Those guys are professional. That's the reason they call it a professional sport. Last couple of questions, we'll let you go. You mentioned professional sports. This one I did not know. You were in the Olympics for bobsledding during your NFL career. Okay? That, when I saw that on, on Wikipedia – my head exploded because I'm just sitting here thinking, imagine if Russell Wilson goes straight from the Super Bowl to the Olympics to go do some bobsledding or Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield or whoever. What is the story there? How did that happen? Well, you know, Willie Galt, who played at uh, Griffin, Georgia in uh, high school, who also went to the University of Tennessee SEC school, they ended up getting to the Chicago Bears. We were competing in the Superstars. 
And he said, Herschel, it looked like you'll be a great, great uh, uh, bobsledder. And he said, I love us to try for the Olympic bobsled team. And you and I'm like this guy, okay, yeah, I love to do it. I love to do it. Never, ever thinking Willie Galt would ever call Herschel Walker to do that. Well, if he did call me, I'm thinking, what in the heck is a bobsled? You know, I'm from Georgia. You know, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not around snow. I, you know, I, even though I was in uh, Minnesota at the time, but I, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do him bobsledding. But I promised Willie I would do it. Well, when I went up to uh, Lake Placid, you know, like I told you, I'm a competitor. I ended up winning the push championship for the United States. Then ended up winning, I think, the push championship for the world, which put me on the Olympic team. And on the first sled for the two-man, which gave me an opportunity to compete with probably one of the best drivers out of the United States, Brian Scheinman, who also became a coach there for the Olympic team, which gave me an opportunity to compete in the Olympics during the offseason of my, uh, I think, 92 uh, football season while I was in Minnesota. And that's what was so unique. And, and I will say this here, and I told someone this, is I said, I, I, I couldn't have been more prouder. And this is, I put it up there with the Heisman Trophy. I put it up there with professional uh, football with, uh, you know, fastest man, all the stuff I've done is to see the United States of America come into the arena. You know, I had traveled uh, all around the uh, country, all around the world during the World Cup, competing against different countries. But when we got to, uh, to Abbeville, France, and, then, and, you know, the bobsled team is there, but then when they announced the United States team, and I started seeing all the, all the athletes from the United States have come out. I could not have been more prouder to be coming from a small town in Wrightsville, Georgia, representing the United States of America, because I think the United States of America may have, it, have its faults, but it's the greatest country in the world. And that's one reason I stand for this, the United States of America. The people of the United States of America is the greatest people in the world. And I, and I, I was so proud to have an opportunity to stand for the United States of America bobsled team. Do you ever pinch yourself? I mean, like, you know, you're, you're still young. you still got a lot of years ahead. You've lived kind of a crazy life, man. Olympic bobsled, NFL, USFL, MMA, uh, you know, your charity work that you've done. I mean, you've lived a crazy life, man. I have. Uh, but, you know, I say it's not over yet. Yep. I'm still out doing things. And, you know, I've told people I, I, I still want to change some things. I'm still out working. And, you know, I, I got to make some things. Some things change. I want to help. Uh, a lot of guys that uh, maybe are hurting in the league and, you know, continue to help the military and the police and all that. Cause you know, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, God has helped me so much. It is my responsibility to help others. You know, I want to help the kids to uh, feel safe. I want to talk to them about being safe. And so there's so many other things I have to do. And, and I think that's the reward that I get because uh, God has blessed me through the athletic world. But because of my blessing that he blessed me, I got to go out and help someone else. And I think that's what's going to make more sense to me. All right. So uh, as we start to get out of here, what a, a little bit of an obscure question, but I do want to ask you this, Herschel, is that we've spent so much time talking about a lot of different things. Uh, but one of them was obviously the military, the fact that you almost joined, the fact that you have trained with them in the past, and that you seem to have an affection for both the military and, and, of course, what they represent here in the United States uh, and in this country. And I will say, normally, I, I really do prefer to stay away from politics on this show, but I also want to give you a platform because you did speak at the Republican National Convention a few weeks ago. Uh, you do have a 40-year friendship with our President Donald Trump dating back to, to the time that he was an owner of a USFL team that you played for. And again, it has been a theme of this conversation, uh, military 
military and all the things associated with it. And just wanted to talk to you and ask you a little bit about the experience of having the chance to speak at the Republican National Convention, because I do know that that meant a lot to you. Well, you know, what was interesting is, you know, I, when I spoke at the convention, people didn't understand that, you know, that President Trump and I had that type of relationship uh, for 37 years. And it was a relationship that wasn't just that uh, when I played for him, the relationship was over. You know, we've been friends. We, he'd eaten at my home. I'd eaten at his home. Even when he became the president, we would talk. You know, his, uh, his kids, uh, you know, we talk and stuff. We were very, very close. And and what was interesting is uh, he never asked me to speak for him. He didn't even know I was going to speak. I decided I wanted to do it because I heard all the terrible things they were saying about him, and I knew it wasn't true. And I think just to the American people, I wanted to be honest. I wanted to come out and say, guys, first of all, you know, he's not a racist, which is this word they've been calling that. Uh, I don't want people to look at this guy here as a tweet. You know, a lot of things that he tweet, look at what he does. You know, they, even with the Big Ten, I was like, guys, dude, they even know that this guy, the president of the United States called the commissioner of the Big Ten. He called a commissioner and he talked to him how they can set up safety pro program, safety protocol to get the guys back at playing football because he heard those cries of those players saying, we want to play. So he, he became the voice for the voiceless in that situation there. He got his administration to call the parents, to call a lot of the people there at the school, at the Big Tens, and, and, and figure out ways to get this bike to going because he cares. And I wanted people to know how much he cares. How uh, you know, I know this man. I know I know his heart. And he didn't do it uh, to get a vote. He didn't do it to get no pat on the bike, even though he'll tweet about it. He did it because it's the right thing to do. And that's why I want people to understand about him. It's the right thing to do. And and that's why I keep telling people, guys, he's a little different. And I tell you, he's a little different. But he's a guy that cares about the United States of America. You know, I saw it in 1985. I even spoke about it. And I tell people, I still remember this, walking down the streets of New York doing a, uh, a interview with someone, I think it was New York Times. And I remember telling him, I was, this guy here, I think he was asking me about Donald Trump. I said, this guy, he can be president of the United States. And I said, the reason why is he love America. You know, I, I, you know, I sit with him all the time. I hear how he talks about America. He loves America. And how can you not say someone shouldn't be president of the United States and love America? That's who you want to be president of the United States. And, you know, everything that I try to tell people, I get it from facts. It's not something I go and I hear people tell me. I, everything I say, I get it from facts. It ain't something I, that I don't know about. And, and that's the reason I speak out. You know, I think this is something that's great. And I tell people, what's so wonderful about America is we have a right to decide. Yes. We have a right to your opinion. We have a freedom of speech. And I want that people to keep that. I don't want people to be silent and stuff. I want people to be able to speak out and say what they want to say and not feel terrible for saying it because, you know, it has changed so much. Uh, like I said, you know, my brother, my big brother, one of my brothers, we're not biological brother, but it's Francisco Ross. Francisco Ross is from Barcelona, Spain. He's Spanish. He was the first Latino in America to play at the University of Georgia. But he and I is just as close as my biological brothers are. And I love that guy just like one of my biological brothers. And he became a legal citizen here in the United States of America. He worked extremely hard to get there. And I said, and, he, and I said, you know what's strange is we have problems in the United States, but let me tell you what, we're still the best country and we can solve it, but we solve it together. Yeah. We don't solve it by separation. Even it yeah. talks about it in the Bible, we don't do it by separation. And that's what I preach all the time.
Well, no, I agree 100%. And, and I just think no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, I think uh, we need more discourse about how great this country is. You know, and, and I've had this conversation. If it, people get mad at me and want to turn off this interview, I really don't care because we do live in an incredible country. You know, obviously, um, you know, my, my grandparents were immigrants. You know, my wife was an immigrant. Um, and they, they, they did what they could to be here. And it's still a great, it's still a great country. It is a great country. It's the greatest country in the world for the reasons that you said. Um, and so, you know, I just wanted to give you that platform uh, to, to really just talk a little bit about your relationship with, with, with the president of the United States, because I know it's important. I do have one last question. I hope you don't mind. I got to ask. No. I've always wanted to know. What is the push-up and sit-up routine like? I mentioned it a minute ago, 1,500 a day yes. push-ups, 3,500 sit-ups. So do you just get up and bang out uh, 200? Like, how does this work? I'm fascinated. No, no. I uh, Every morning I'm up early, uh, you know, 5 o'clock maybe, uh, and I try to get all 1,500 done. I can do 1,500 push-ups within uh, probably about an hour and 20 minutes. 3,500 sit-ups are going to take me about 30 minutes to do, and I do more of uh, the sit-ups. I do more of a crunch where my knees are bent and I may bring my shoulder and my head up off the floor where I keep them at 45 degrees or never past 45 degrees where I keep all the tension on the stomach. As I do through the reps, I never rest my head and my shoulder on the floor again. So all the tension stays on the stomach. Then I may cross my legs where I get different types of the body and stuff that I'm doing. Then I may flip over on my side where I get my side, my bleeps as well. Same thing with the push-ups. I do different hand positions for different parts of the body. I do anywhere from a set for 50 to 75 in a set. And I do a handstand, which I work more of my, my, uh, tra my trap up here, where I do more of a handstand sometimes. And I try to do 1,500. When I was playing, I was doing a little bit more. Once I started fighting, I, I cut them down because of the reach and, and the fighting. And when you're fighting and stuff, I cut it down there. And now I'm still, I'm still doing them because, like I said, I, I work out with the military. And, you know, uh, I do PT with them, and sometimes I do combative. So I want them to see that, you know, because, you know, Norman, those guys, they are so young. Their parents heard about Herschel Walker. They know the name, but they're so totally shocked when I show up there and I'm doing a PT or jumping out of a plane with them or doing something that I do with them. They're shocked that I show up and I'm able to do those things. But then they listen to me because I want them to listen to me and know that there's no shame to ask for help. You know, mental health is very serious. I think people don't take it that serious, and, and I want people to realize that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we all have problems, That's, but it's okay to ask for help when you're suffering. Well, and it's crazy, and it, I'll let you go on that, but, you know, my wife is in the, the mental health field, and it's crazy because, you know, being uh, this in this pandemic, you know, we're, we're in close space, and so, you know, obviously there's, I know what she has to deal with on a daily basis and what her clients do. Uh, and it's a surreal, it's a surreal thing. And so, no, I'm so glad we were able to connect, talk a little mental health, talk a little spiritual health. Uh, this was a lot of fun, man. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Herschel Walker, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, uh, Olympian, all that stuff, man. Dude, I so appreciate you making some time. This was a lot of fun. No, thank you. And to all the people out there, this pandemic is real. And I encourage them to stay into a routine. Get into a routine, stay into a routine if you can call a loved one, call a family member. You never know what they're going through and encourage them that, hey, hang in there. We're all in this together. We're going to get through it together and we can get it done. No, 100%. And that's something that, you know, I think we've all learned is, you know, something I've learned during this process is, um, you know, everybody's going through something and, you know, it's made me look at everyone different is, you know, if somebody 
snaps off or has a bad day or this or that or whatever, everybody's going through something right now. So Herschel Walker, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Now. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.